Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show and I'm your host Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon and we've got a packed show of, of topics to talk about but just like always we like to talk about what you want to talk about on the Bose Nose Show so all you have to do to control the content and subject of the Bose Nose Show is give us a call at 646-721-9887 and just press one so we know you want to get in on and talk on the show because some people call in just to listen. Again, 646-721-9887, just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the Bose Nose Show to talk. So we've got redistricting, we've got taxes, We've got gravel mines, we've got COVID uh, and contracting and hot dust and all that good stuff. And of course, somebody that I called earlier today finally calls me back in the middle of the show. Um, (laughs) Sorry about that, folks. I can't seem to figure out how to keep my, my MacBook from ringing. I can keep my iPad from ringing, I can keep my phone from ringing, but for some reason my MacBook rings with all of that, some weird Apple thing. Um, Lots of topics today, and I want to jump into the redistricting one, and and I'll put up on the KRBN site um, either sometime during the show or uh, after the show a link to the uh, page that you can go to to actually get links to the, new, the maps that are being proposed and to comment on on the uh, proposed maps, which the redistricting committee is meeting tomorrow at 6 p.m. to finalize their recommendation to the commissioners. So it's really important that folks pull that up tonight and, and let the redistricting committee know what you think. And I think if you pull those maps up, it'll be kind of, kind of obvious which ones are pretty gerrymandered just by the shape of some of the districts. And the fact that they've got some really strange things going on, like one map that has the South Eugene commissioner representing Dexter. Um, <laughs> yeah, some very strange stuff going on. So, uh, but what's really kind of come to light was we got an email today from a, a citizen of Lane County kind of objecting to a couple things. One is, that these maps don't really follow the Lane County Charter, the three out of the four maps that were proposed. And the Lane County Charter has a section in it in Chapter 3, Section 10, uh, Item C, which is, you know, describes the districts for the commissioners. You know, that the West Lane District will generally compromise of Western Lane County outside the metropolitan area. And then, you know, the Springfield District is generally con- comp- comprised of the Springfield metropolitan area. South Eugene, generally comprised of South Eugene metropolitan area. North Eugene, the North Eugene metropolitan area. East Lane County, generally comprised of Eastern Lane County outside the metropolitan area. So you would think with those general descriptions that the maps should kind of follow those. Well, I, I think folks need to go, you know, online, uh, go to the link that I'm going to post on the KRBN uh, Internet News Talk radio site and um, take a look for yourself 
fact, I'm going to put that up there right now on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio, uh, that the, the link to the redistricting news release that has a link to the maps. And there's four maps up there, of which I only think one generally meets those descriptions that are in there. That's the first part of the letter from the citizen. The second part is the really interesting part. We formed, at, at the behest of the League of Women Voters and a bunch of other people, and even my urging, because I really think this is important after the last complaints when we un-gerrymandered, previous gerrymandering, and people accused us of gerrymandering, because um, before you know, we changed the maps 10 years ago, the East Lane County Commissioner was representing people west of Walton, <laughs> um, just for starters. But uh, and the Springfield Commissioner was representing most of North Eugene, you know, crossing over I-5. Fixed all that, and and, and that was gerrymandering, according to some people. But um, the, we we formed what we thought was going to be an independent redistricting committee to try and remove the influence of people that are going to be running for reelection from picking who their constituents were going to be and who their voters are and to get some separation. Well, lo and behold, it turns out that one of the members of the independent, and I put that in air quotes uh, around that for those of you not watching on video, uh, the independent redistricting committee is a paid political consultant that was paid over $100,000 from the campaigns of two commissioners that are up for re-election next year, Joe Bernie and Heather Buck. And this gentleman is named Kevin Cronin, and he is on the redistricting committee. But it's not just that he's on it. He's been proposing most of the maps under consideration, and his maps are moving, you know, are, are three, I believe, of the four, that are moving forward is there may not be a statutory conflict of interest issue going on here there sure seems to be something that doesn't pass the smell test when a, you know the of course yeah it was three years ago he got the hundred thousand dollars to run those two campaigns but there's definitely a relationship between um, you know, those two commissioners and Mr. Cronin. And that he does, you know, have a very political background. But he's on the committee and he's drawing maps for the committee. And that's somehow or another kind of okay for two people that are going to be running for re-election. So you kind of wonder, are they going to uh, recuse themselves on voting for any maps that he helped prepare? You know, what what? You know, how, how did they work this out? So it, it's going to be interesting um, when this does get to the board. But even before that, there's an opportunity for the public to at least weigh in with the committee uh, before 6 o'clock tomorrow. And there's an opportunity um, for uh, the public also to weigh in with the Board of Commissioners because we'll take these maps up on November 9th. Um, but hopefully at least we get a choice of one reasonable map. And I'm, I'm concerned that the only maps that are gonna come out of the committee are gonna be ones that Mr. Cronin developed. And, and some of those are pretty strange maps. So um, this is gonna be in place for 10 years. And you know, Princeton University just gave our legislature an F for their congressional maps. You know, they had a scale of, of A being, you know, good and ungerrymandered and fair maps being extremely gerrymandered. Our congressional maps that were adopted by the legislature were given an F grade by what I wouldn't consider a very conservative university. <laughs> they were just looking at, well, do they meet some of the regular criteria about keeping communities of interest together and you know, 
generally as, as small geographically as possible and some other other issues, and they didn't meet any of that. And I think what they're trying to do is something very similar. Instead of putting the point of the pie in Portland for all the maps to kind of um, overwhelm the rural vote, they're trying to do something similar with the east and west lane districts where they put enough of Eugene into them to outvote rural Lane County and where they start putting rural Lane County into some of the Eugene districts under some of these maps. The rural voice on your county commission. Now, mind you, Eugene and Springfield have city city governments and city councils where there's actually a layer of government between the citizens and the county. Rural unincorporated areas, the county is their local government. And they're stealing that voice in some of these maps. So if you don't want that voice silenced, you need to speak up. You need to go to that link I put on the KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page and say something. I'll put it up on my Westland County Commissioner page, too. I'll put it up on my personal Facebook page. People need to pay attention to this. It's important. It only happens once every 10 years. So we're stuck with this. If they manage to gerrymander in, you know, four safe progressive districts or something, you know, do something crazy where they can dominate the board for the next 10 years, um, we're going to see some pretty crazy things like turning down a gravel mine that's much needed. Now, mind you, aggregate resources are a goal five protected resource by the state because the state understands it's critical to building roads, to building buildings, to building houses. You don't do any construction just about without aggregate. And there was an aggregate mine proposed up right adjacent to Oak Ridge, very similar to the Springfield Quarry right next to Springfield. Springfield's lived through it. Um, and they had all but one issue resolved. And the clock kind of got run out and there were some issues about, you know, whether or not they could get a smittle in. And all we had to do as a board was to reopen the record and allow that smittle. Didn't, we weren't gonna, it didn't mean we'd be approving it. It would just allow the applicant a fair chance to meet the criteria. But instead of allowing that fair chance to the applicant, the board listened to Land Watch Lane County and the environmentalists like Kevin Matthews and shut it down over a, a technicality. So we're going to be trucking rock out Highway 58 from the valley up to those forest roads that helped fight the fires this summer in the, uh, the, the fires that were around Oak Ridge, like the Gales fire. You know, they need roads to get to those. The roads need aggregate on it in the forest. But if you're trucking that aggregate up from the valley, then there's the whole issue of, you know, trucks overturning and wrecks and everything else, wear and tear on Highway 58, the carbon footprint, the actual trucking. You know, it doesn't make any sense at all. And it gets more expensive, which means road building gets more expensive, which means, you know, the Forest Service and the City of Oak Ridge and ODOT and everybody pays more to build, to keep their road systems up. It also means that housing gets more expensive. And all these same people that are constantly talking about affordable housing and carbon voted down something that would have helped both. Why? Because Lamb Watch Lane County told them to, and the environmentalists. There's no other reason why. All the... It didn't mean that they were approving it. All they had to do was reopen the record and at least give the applicant a fair chance to fix a problem. But if you want that to continue for the next 10 years, don't go online and comment about the maps that they're proposing. Let them 
gerrymander maps to keep control of their power because the ends justify the means. Uh, well, yep. But that's, you know, definitely got to be concerned about that. You have to be involved. Don't complain if you don't take a few minutes. And I mean, it will take you a very short amount of time to review each one of those maps fairly quickly. They, they are large files. They're taking a little bit of time to download if you've got a slow internet connection. Um, unfortunately, I, I did ask staff to see what they could do to make file size smaller. I'm hoping they're getting that fixed. But um, go on, look at those four sets of maps that are now the, the draft maps for Lane County's districts and see which ones make sense to you. And I think it's kind of obvious that when you look at our charter and how they, we describe the districts and how we're trying to protect that rural voice with the East and West Lane County Commission districts being described as generally outside the metropolitan areas and the Eugene and Springfield districts as being described inside the metropolitan area, it's obvious which map probably does the best job of that. So I encourage folks to, to, to look at those maps, make comments, make your voice heard, because it matters. You know, speaking of stuff that matters, you know, I am fortunate that my Bimart here in Veneta is far enough away from the next Walgreens that we're actually going to keep our pharmacy and Walgreens is going to take it over. I'm not so happy about using Walgreens as a pharmacy because I understand sometimes you can wait days for a prescription to be filled, but at least I got a local place to go. And there's a lot of folks that have their prescriptions at Bimarts in town where there's a Walgreens nearby where they're just going to be going to the Walgreens store from now on. Um, it's a sad thing, but, you know, Bimart explained why they can't keep their pharmacies open. And one of the reasons why is the corporate activities tax. Now, who decided to put the corporate activities tax in place after it was voted down by the voters? The legislature, that's the supermajority of the legislature that got in there through gerrymandered maps that started back when Bill Bradley was the Secretary of State in 2000, 2001, I should be more specific was when they, he, he gerrymandered those maps. And in 2011, they got even worse. And now who knows, you know, now they're so crazy that even a Democrat legislator is suing over those redistricting maps. Pay attention, folks. Those maps have election consequences. Elections have consequences. Which leads me to a story that really hasn't been covered anywhere that I've seen which is there's a survey that came out from Oregon Business and Industries, which is, you know, a, a, a group of Oregon businesses, and they utilize that to, you know, to lobby the legislature, not so successfully lately, because what their survey showed, and they did a survey of accountants and chamber leaders um, and and it was a statewide survey, got a fairly large response. Over 80% bonding accountants and chamber leaders have business clients or members that are considering relocating out of state due to taxes. 80% have at least one business client or members that are considering relocating. Now, more than 85% of the accountants have individual clients, you know, individual taxpaying clients that are considering leaving Oregon due to the personal income tax burdens. And you go, what? 
Why is that? And why has that become such a big thing? The corporate activities tax, which doesn't care whether you make a profit or not, it's just a tax on gross sales. And then there's been a lot of local taxes that have been enacted. Here, it's the Eugene payroll tax. In Portland, it's the Multnomah County income tax, one for preschool and another one from Metro that was for homeless services. So they're getting double you know, whammy there. And then there's this thing coming online that people may not be aware of, which is the paid family leave tax. So all these add up and it's getting to the point where you're going to start seeing, and we've already seen some of this, but it's going to start, you know, the trickles becoming a stream, which is going to become a downpour here and a, and a torrent. Businesses and individuals leaving the state because of the tax situation. Now, how did the tax situation get that way? Elections. Elections based on gerrymandered just redistricting maps. Pay attention to redistricting, folks. It's your one opportunity to try and prevent losing your voice and to get fair representation that kind of matches the electorate. You know, there's not a super majority of Democrat registration in this state. But there's a super majority of Democrats in our legislature. That only happens through gerrymandered districts. Elections have consequences. Redistricting steers elections. It's the first part of the process. Go to that link, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio on Facebook. If you're a Lane County resident, click through to the page that has the there's one link there to go to look at the maps, and there's a way to comment on the maps to the redistricting committee. It, you need to do it before 6 o'clock tomorrow night. And if you miss that deadline, then you need to comment to the Board of Commissioners about them. But we need folks to pay attention and to you know make it hard for them to gerrymander because there's enough public sentiment against the gerrymandering. So I threw out a couple things there, taxation, gravel mines, redistricting, gerrymandering. But I'll talk about what you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. You just have to call us at 646-721-9887 and just press one so Robin knows that you want to get in on the show again at 646-721-9887 and just press one so Robin can get you on the board as wanting to talk and I'll get to you and we'll have a conversation. Robin, you trying to jump in? I'm hearing a little bit of background. Um, Nope. Okay. (laughs) Just a little static on this end. So, uh, now that we've kind of covered redistricting and we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, taxes and, and, and a few other things and the gravel mine, I want to talk a bit about COVID. I also posted on the KRBN Internet News Talk Radio page a photo of an OHSU diagram of, of our their projections of us getting to herd immunity. And it's their you know model herd chart as they put it. And they have determined that we will be at herd immunity by December, according to their projections. But the fascinating thing about this chart is they are counting natural immunity in their herd immunity calculations. Because they've got what they call the susceptible population, which is basically unvaccinated. Then they've got the, which they're saying right now is 24%. They've got the vaccinated population of Oregon, which is 42%. 
got what they call infected, which is basically infected and recovered, which what some people refer to as natural immunity, is 24%. And then there's 10% that were vaccinated and infected. <laughs> Might have been infected first and then vaccinated, but or vaccinated then infected, but 10%. So you, you add all that up, and you're basically at, you know, 100%. With you know all those 24, 42, 24, and 10, but if you add up the you know the susceptibles 24% right now, that means that 76% of our population is currently protected one way or another. Either they had the virus and recovered, or they're vaccinated. They're counting natural immunity in their calculations of herd immunity, and they're really only looking at it getting to about 80% to consider it herd immunity. So we're not that far away. My question for the governor, for OHA, and anybody that's putting forth a vaccine mandate is why natural immunity is not considered vaccinated if it's considered in the herd immunity calculations. If you've had COVID and can prove that from an antibody test, Why shouldn't that be considered just like having one of those little cards from the CDC that says you've been vaccinated? Now, there's a whole different story about having to show any of that to anybody. <laughs> but they're, you know, the employer mandates, they're not letting natural immunity pass for vaccination. You have to be vaccinated, whether you had COVID or not but we're counting having COVID as being part of herd immunity. What does OHSU know that OHA doesn't? Scratch your head about that one for a little while and tell me there's not some other agenda going on that they even want people that have had the disease and recovered to be vaccinated in order to hold a job. Brings me around to a subject I talked about several weeks ago on the Bose Nose Show and didn't talk too much about it last week, but this whole idea of disproportionate impact from vaccine mandates on minorities. And I've provided, you know, graphs and charts about that in the past where there's a good 20% 20 percentage point difference between the white vaccination rate in many of our large minorities here in Lane County. And I was concerned that it was going to cause a problem with, you know, the implementation of the governor's and the county's vaccine mandates on their employees. And, you know, we hit vaccine mandate Monday on October 18th. And we had 680 employees at Lane County, of which 150 are considered people of color. That's all the breakdown they would they would give me at the, uh, at the following board meeting. And 34 of those 680 either asked for an exemption and, and waiver or were terminated. And I asked about those 34, you know, what percentage of those are minorities? And they kind of refused, hemmed and hawed and refused to tell me because they thought it was too small of a number and all that stuff. Of course, they thought I was talking about six that were terminated, and that's not what I asked. So ultimately, I asked again in writing this time to be clear in an email and was told I'd have to make a public records request for that information. You heard that right. A sitting county commissioner is having to had to make a public records request to just find out what the percentage of people of color, just like they, the 150 out of the 680, I want to know how many, what percentage of those 34 are people of color. That's it. No identification of those folks, nothing that would individually identify them. I just want to know whether that percentage is more than the 22% that 
that that 150 out of 680 represent or less to see if my theory that there was there may be disproportionate impact actually held true. And I have not gotten a response of that public records request yet. I'm hearing that they're trying to figure out how to deny it. I don't understand any reason why I can't have that information. It doesn't identify anybody. It doesn't, you know, cause any problems. It's just a percentage. My guess is it's higher than 22%, and they don't want to give me the ammunition that my theory was right. It's ridiculous that a sitting commissioner has to turn in a public records request to get information from his own staff. No agenda there, maybe? So, herd immunity includes natural immunity. Vaccine mandates, natural immunity is not allowed to be counted. Want data on minority, disproportionate minority impacts, which they'll give out for things like arrest. They'll give it out for, for jails. They'll give it out for uh, kids in contact with our youth services. We've got you know, data on disproportionate minority, minority contact. And it's pretty small numbers there. But they won't give that, that kind of data to me for vaccine mandates. Exercise in, in getting people to accept control of the government in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm vaccinated. I encourage people to get vaccinated, particularly anybody over 30, because the older you are, the, the worse the possibilities are if you do contract COVID. And the percentages get worse and worse. Under 30, I start to kind of hedge and haul because of the, the myocarditis that um, comes in with some of the vaccinations and some concerns about uh, blood clots um, and everything else. That you know, when you look at the numbers for hospitalization and mortality from COVID, the younger you are, the less likely it is. In fact, it's more likely you're going to have an asymptomatic infection. You may not even know you ever have it, other than if you did an antibody test and determined you had natural immunity. There's a good possibility that a fair amount of young people actually have natural immunity don't even know it. But we got some areas that are talking about mandating vaccines for kids as young as five. I don't get it. Other than maybe it's just they're trying to beat us into submission and getting to be accepting of we're from the government. We know what's best for you. Do what we say. Why can't they just convince us, educate us and convince us? Why threaten us with our livelihoods? So that's kind of my COVID minute for the day. Meanwhile, you know, the background of all this somewhat is, is we're still seeing decreasing rates of COVID in this county. We're down to levels that were kind of around the peaks that we saw in the um, spring surge last year, and we're falling below those. All, you know, in this same report, from OHSU, there's forecasts for the COVID uh, and hospital, including hospitalization. There, all the forecasts are trending downward over the next several weeks. You know, we're it's just all the numbers are pointing in the right direction, yet we're still going to use the force of government and threaten people's ability to feed their families as a form of coercion to get them to accept taking a vaccine instead of just educating them and getting them voluntarily vaccinated. 
particularly looking at the charts that say we're almost at herd immunity right now. What's the need? What's the rush? Why? And with that, I'll just pause for a moment and remind folks we are a call-in show. 646-721-9887 is our number. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the Bose Nose show. Again, 646-721-9887. I want to jump to a little bit of a different topic just because it sort of came up in a couple of different conversations recently. And it was in the news last week, and I didn't really cover it much. But, you know, there was that big pot bust down in Cresswell where some idiot decided to, to have a smoke in a, you know, drying barn or whatever. <laughs> and started a fire, and, of course, you know, when the fire people came and saw this massive pot operation, uh, they called the cops. The cops show up, and we have this huge drug bust outside of Cresswell where they had 200 pounds of processed marijuana on site, and I don't know how many tons of unprocessed. And I saw a lot of comments and and actually got a lot of flack about it. You know, this was a waste of resources. We shouldn't be busting these people. Pot's harmless, blah, 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 blah. I just want to talk about whether or not pot is truly harmless, particularly illegal pot. You know, the reason there is an illegal pot market and the people grow illegal pot in Oregon is there are still states in this country that it's illegal and there's an an underground black market to sell pot at a very big profit. That's what makes it worth growing illegally to export out of state because legal pot in this state has inventory controls and can only be sold in this state partly because the national folks haven't decided to legalize and you can't do any interstate commerce of marijuana. (laughs) They barely let you do legal marijuana in a state. So there needs to be first national legislation around legalization. It would also deal with some issues about cash versus being able to actually use banks for, for legal pot sellers. But that's kind of a side issue. There is a black market for pot. And it's a very profitable black market to grow pot here in Oregon where it grows really well. Southern Oregon and Northern California are one of the best places to grow pot in the nation, in the world. So what's so bad about that? You know, because people go, oh, pot's such, you know, it's a fairly harmless drug. It's less harmless than alcohol, blah, blah, you know, all the usual stuff. What's harmful about it is because it is a black market, it's being controlled by organized crime now. Those illegal grows are being run by cartels and, and gangs, which means there's a lot of violence tied to them because, you know, the profits that are involved, they, they compete for territory. Um, there's human trafficking involved. Almost all these grows they bust have people living on site, tending the crops and doing the, the, the grunt work. Almost all of those people turn out to be people that were smuggled into this country and have been enslaved by the gangs to work in these pot industries. And by enslaved, I mean enslaved. So you really have to um, wonder about, is that doing no harm, these illegal grows? And uh, that's really um, something that, you know, we, we shouldn't be allowing. And the whole reason that even exists is the fact that there's a black market still in this country. All states have not legalized, and the United States has still got all sorts of restrictions on it. So what we do allow to be grown legally here has to be used legally here in this state. So there's an excess capacity out there. Secondary to that, these illegal grows not only are involved in human trafficking and have violence around them, 
they are horribly environmentally bad in so many different ways. They require a lot of water and a lot of electricity. In areas usually where they're both are kind of shaky, grid-wise and, and water-wise, particularly the water side. You know, there's a very large grow down in Douglas County where they were illegally pumping water out of Elk Creek with no water rights, no worries about fist passage or endangered species, you name it. So, you know, violent crime, human trafficking, environmental damage, that's all harmless. Now, I even reach beyond that. Pot is not necessarily harmless. Study after study after study shows that marijuana impacts the human brain development in teenagers. Everybody understands, and I've talked about this on the Bose Nose Show when we we're talking about um, some other issues, the human brain doesn't stop developing until about age 25 or 26. And marijuana changes brain pathways and causes cognitive issues in teenagers. Legalized pot, 21 and up. Controlled, yes, there's some bleed down into, into adolescence, but it's not as, as sharp. There's at least some control. And, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the problem. Illegal pot, black market-wise, there's no control of what age group gets that. So I'm going to jump to a call here because I did say I would, I would do that. And uh, I'm going to bring Jeff from Florence on. What's on your mind, Jeff? Hey, Jay. Well, first uh, weather report here from Florence. It's uh, pretty hazy. We've got some really nice surf coming through the channel right now, maybe some eight, ten-footers, really nice. And our little drizzle of rain, but otherwise it's, it's pretty nice here. But to get on to the, the more drab subject of the, uh, the COVID thing, I was at a, a fundraiser last night, and um, – for one of these candidates coming up for election for a governor. And there's a gal that gave a talk, and she was um, – she'd just been let go from the Department of Health and Human Services, and she dealt primarily with um, options. And, um, and so one of her coworkers called her up and said, you know, we have somebody here that's 15 years old, and they told him that he could not meet – with his, uh, he gets eight visitations. He could not vi visit with any of them unless he took uh, the vaccination. It, this, it, this is so horrible. And so, and, and the, I mean, can you imagine using that arm twisting for young teenagers? They can't visit with their, their parents or, it, it's just, it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. Yeah, that, that is sad. They just, they can't resist the urge to use the force of government to, you know, make people do things. Uh, it, it's one of the reasons why I support legalizing pot is I don't like to make, to use the government to force people to do things as long as they're consenting adults. Um, and you're talking about a case of a 15-year-old who's not a consenting adult and they're threatening him with his ability to visit his family. Oh my gosh! What? Yeah, if, if that isn't coercion and use of force, I don't know what is. Now, yeah, it, it was really, it was pretty pathetic, you know. Anyways, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, can you imagine? Let's flip this around a little bit. It's a young girl who finds out she's pregnant, and it's past six weeks. And, and the, the the people in DHS say, you know what, you have to carry that baby to term. You think there might be an outroar, an, an outrage about that? You know, it, it it's like it's 
they, they completely compartmentalize that whole issue. They're outraged about the Texas abortion law when there's actually another individual involved in that, that issue somewhat. And, and it depends on your definition of when life begins and when the, there's an individual that has rights outside, you know, outside of the, the birth mother. Here's a case where it's, you know, there's not even a separate individual involved and they still won't let people have choice. And they're willing to let the government dictate, you know, medical decisions to those people. But they'll, they'll, they'll do the exact opposite logic when it comes to abortion. It just, yeah, that, that confounds me. 15-year-old, oh, my gosh. That's yeah, terrible. Um, I, if you want to get the gal's name, um, you know, Mark, Mark Thielman? Yeah, the, the fellow who was the school superintendent there. Um, really an interesting man. I mean, I can't believe how bright and um, motivation. Anyways, he, he's like an amazingly positive person. Anyways, yeah, I, I don't have the gal's name, but um, she sat at our table and she went up there and it just, it was just, it was a tearjerker just to hear this story and just other things going on. Anyways, just that. Yep. Well, thanks for chiming in, Jeff, and, and bringing that story to light. Um, I hope uh, stay safe there on the coast. Sounds like this weekend's going to be a whole lot nicer than last weekend. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah. At least the little kids won't get blown away trying to trick-or-treat. That's if they're allowed to trick-or-treat. I saw some guidance come out of, of, of uh, Oregon Health Authority today instructing that kids should um, – wear a mask that allows them to wear a COVID safe mask underneath and that they should stay six feet apart. And, oh, it was, I mean, like, oh, my gosh, you're making these kids so neurotic. <laughs> you know, all, all the girls could just wear burkas and they should be fine, right? Yeah. yeah I, I'm wondering when it's going to come to that. Uh Hey, um, hey! We're at uh, this church I attend, they're going to have a um, what's it called? A trunk or treat. So we'll, they'll put a bunch of cars in the in the parking lot, and open their trunks, and um, parents can bring and kids can rotate through all the uh, trunks and fill up on all kinds of cavity making food. <laughs> and, and, and which church is that, Jeff? Uh, it's the First Baptist Church there on um, Spruce Street and 25th Street. And I think there's another uh, organization going to do something like that, too. So, yeah, the, uh, if there's any kids out there, parents are going to take them around to get lots of candy. Come by the First Baptist Church there on Halloween and, yeah, in the afternoon. Yep. And it's a pretty safe thing. I, I think the Amira Bible um, is also doing something very similar, a trunk or treat. There are several churches that are. So if you're looking for a safe way to take your kids to get some cavity stuff um, and some hyperactivity, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, look around at some of your local churches, you know, for that trunk or treat. You know. Yeah, rev them up on sugar for a while, then they crash. Um, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> And, of course, you're always trading candy with your siblings and, you know, then, then complaining that you got cheated. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you 10 you, you're, rolls for the Nestle's French Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. And that's back in the days when, when I was trick-or-treating, they gave full-size candy bars. <laughs> and the Tootsie Rolls were full-size, too, not those little teeny things. Yeah, those, uh, those yes. are the people they were just trying to impress kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, have a great Halloween, and, and thanks for calling in, Jeff. Oh, uh, 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 Robin's Absolutely. wanted to get in on the on the, on the full size candy bar conversation. I think. <laughs> oh God, I, I grew up in the area area for a dog come away with a full sack. Yeah. Yeah. So in the trunk or treat, uh, do you also get uh, 
Get your choice of spare tires. <laughs> and tire irons. Fix a flat. Jack o' lanterns. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that was bad, Robin. <laughs> you jumped in just to sneak that one in there. <laughs> yeah, well, I also have an article to talk about too in a few. So, all right. Hit us with the article. I think Jeff and I are running out of steam on on chunk or treat. <laughs> Actually, this might be. This is pretty close to where Jeff is at. It. Um, oh, let's see. We're Cannon Beach and uh, Newport voters. It's a five percent restaurant meals tax, which is going to be on the ballot. Uh, yes, I saw that article. Uh, you know, as as we're thinking about local taxes, and of course, restaurants have done so well during COVID. And I, I believe one of them is to support the library system, and the other one's to support building a new city hall. Yep. And, of course, you know, they're hoping that it's going to, you know, the voters will pass it because those are tourist towns, and they're going to assume it's just going to be, the quote, the tourists that are going to be paying for those things. Um, yeah, everybody yeah. pays taxes. Well, because, you know, personally, when I drive an hour and a half out, to the beach, the first place I want to go to is the library, never mind the Internet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's uh, amazing to me that people aren't connecting, you know, 5% restaurant tax, how much transient room tax they're charging, how much more expensive is it getting to actually vacation on the coast nowadays? And the fact that restaurants can't get help on the coast, they, there's no place for their, their workers to live they can afford, you know, on the coast because of the taxes and, you know, the high property taxes and the high value of land. How are they supposed to survive these restaurants? You know, are they really going to get the revenue from that 5% tax they think they're going to get? You know, it's just like if it moves, they're going to tax it. If it doesn't move, they're going to tax it. And they're even proposing now to tax unrealized capital gains. Yeah. See, that unrealized gain of uh, $3 million. Can I, can I write that off? Yeah. I, my question is, are they going to allow us to, to, to get tax credits for unrealized capital losses? Yeah. Like, you know, my, my image and likeness, you know, used to be worth, you know, a million bucks a couple of years ago. It's only worth 100000 now. So I need to, I need tax credit for a $900,000 loss. <laughs> you know, I think you should. What do you think, Jeff? Should, should he pursue that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the stock market, what if you have Bitcoin? I mean, the thing will go up and down Ten thousand dollars in a thirty-day stretch. I mean, this is insane. I, I have no idea how in the world they're ever going to make that unrealized capital gains tax work. It, it, it's just absolutely, yeah. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I would hope I could, I could. So I wish I could. So if they're going to tax it every single year so that when I finally go ahead and sell my property, can I write off all those taxes they've, they've incurred on me through the years? I don't know. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. Yeah. Are they, you know, if, if they're going to tax you on the incremental growth each year of the wealth, you know, the value of your property, you know, once you sell it, is it only the incremental growth since the last time they taxed you? That that gain that you're, you know, or are they going to make it the whole capital gain? Yeah, there's a lot of questions around that. Yeah, yeah. mind you, know, you. They want to start with, yeah, they want to start with the wealthiest 1,000 individuals in the United States. And it's always that, you know, because we're all envious of the rich. So let's go up to the super rich. And, you know, we all know. We just have to convince enough people that it's actually the people getting a paycheck. That's where the tax revenue actually comes from. Yeah. Well, and people don't understand, 
you know, it, when you tax the rich, everybody pays that tax in some ways. Because it just means the rich have to either, you know, sell an investment, um, raise a price of a company, you know, of a product that their company produces, uh, lower the wages of their employees. We all pay that somehow or another. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. and you know, with all this in- inflation that's coming here, I, I read a financial report from uh, Dollar Tree. They are planning to raise their $1 items, not all of them, but quite a few of them, to 125 and some to 150 So it's not going to be the Dollar Tree anymore. That's going to be the buck fifty tree. <laughs> yeah, or the bucking, bucking two bits, you know, or whatever. Uh, yes, yeah, that, yeah, I just, people aren't connecting all that. And this insane um, human infrastructure bill, which is an oxymoron in itself because infrastructure's definition does not include human services, um, yeah, they're redefining words, you know, like redefining infrastructure. But this human infrastructure bill on top of ARPA, you know, the $1.9 trillion they already they already financed with, with, you know, deficit spending, is going to drive inflation up so badly. And that inflation is a tax mostly on the poor. I mean, it hurts the poor the worst. Yeah, when's the last time that uh... – Somebody makes forty thousand a year says, "Yes, tax me more." Yep, and inflation is a hidden tax. Not to mention, eventually, it's going to catch up to us in interest rates. Yeah, we're going to see mortgages start costing more, car loans, and everything else. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing. Interest rates, because somehow in it's, they have to do this. They have to separate federal debt from that being linked with uh, private um, interest rates because the way it's being done now, because um, everything is going to be uh, calculated to the 10-year treasury instead of what we've been using in the past, um, which was LIBOR. That was too corrupted. So as long as we have incredible amounts of debt, we can never raise the interest rate I mean, you could never have $30 trillion and put a 4% interest rate on that. There, You can't collect enough revenue to cover that payment. Yeah, and, and that's the sad thing is, is eventually this house of cards being built by the progressives that are, you know, willing to, to tax and spend, you know, whether it's the – Eugene payroll tax or the 5% restaurant tax or it's the corporate activities tax or the um, family leave, family and medical leave tax. They just can't get enough taxes, you know, or the unrealized capital gains tax. And they, there's no amount of money that's enough, which leads me to a whole other topic that I kind of promote and didn't get a chance to, and I'll probably get into more next week. But we are spending an incredible amount of money on homeless services in this county with very little accountability and very little competitive bidding for those contract awards. And what has it achieved? And just for starters, I did some research on one vendor for Lane County, which is St. Vincent de Paul Society of Lane County. We gave them $43 $43 million in contracts last year and this year to date. Wow. Only $4 million of that was competitively bid. The rest was sole source, single bidder contracts, or amendments to existing contracts. Sometimes the amendments add up to over 1,000% of the original contract. That's not accountable. But we'll talk about that more next week because we've kind of run out of time here on the Bose Nose Show. I want to thank Jeff for calling in from Florence and Robin for chiming in and, and getting the restaurant tax item in here while we're at it. Um, we'll be back next week at 4 p.m. Pacific coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening.